Welcome to the Cyber Avenger Podcast, where security conscious individuals learn the latest cybersecurity news, tips, and trends in technology. And now, on to the podcast. Hello and welcome everyone. I am Andy, the managing consultant with Cyber Avenger. Today's topic, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all that good stuff. Uh, now, many channels have uh, been created out there to discuss whether this crypto is going to the moon, whether you have paper hands or diamond hands and all that good stuff, but that's not today's topic. Today's topic is the crypto behind crypto. We're going to discuss the cybersecurity implications of privacy currency, uh, of um, Bitcoin, of other cryptocurrencies. We discuss how the blockchain works. This is uh, written kind of for the more lay person, so we're going to be glossing over some of the really technical details, but um, I hope the, the, our audience finds it useful and gives you a good orientation on to where cryptocurrency is secure and where it's not. Now, if you pay attention to the news at all, you'll know that there's a number of times when Bitcoin has been stolen or exchanges have been hacked, and there's quite a few security breaches that have happened revolving around cryptocurrency. But I think what people don't know, at least most people, is that the blockchain itself has never been hacked. Yet. <laughs> right? It's our famous saying around here at CyberVendor, nothing is unhackable. But I do believe that the security at this point, after decade of, of use and something uh, to the tune of almost a trillion dollars worth of market capitalization with a, a value locked in Bitcoin, just Bitcoin, let alone the others, and nobody's managed to break the blockchain is truly a testament to how stable and secure blockchain technology can be. So then how do people hack it? Well, at first it helps to understand some of the components involved in cryptocurrency. There's some definitions that the layperson is going to have to get in their head before they understand the conversation. So I'm going to do my best right now to kind of get that out of the way. Blockchain. It's a foundation of any cryptocurrency. And the cryptocurrency is a, a generic term. Most people have heard of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is one of many cryptocurrencies. The blockchain, well, how best to describe it? So imagine now you have a very simple network. Let's say you have five computers. Each one of those computers has an Excel spreadsheet. I think most people are comfortable with the concept of a spreadsheet, right? Uh, that's a, a journal or a ledger. It, that's, you heard that term talked about, the, the shared ledger. Well, a spreadsheet, you know, you got rows one, two, three, four, five, and six. You picture you've got information, records, and it's just uh, all these records are is a listing of who owns a coin or a fraction of a coin. And if I change ownership of that coin from Bob to Sally, it's just one line entry in that spreadsheet, and it keeps going on and on and on. There's an endless history. Now, in those five computers that we're imagining here, that spreadsheet gets copied from computer to computer to computer. Kind of like, um, well, a Google Drive or OneDrive. Uh, if anybody has used those technologies, uh, like, like cloud sharing, Dropbox, that sort of thing, you make it strange and the next person gets a copy of it. That's sort of how blockchain works. In principle, in the most simple form, that's exactly how it works. Now, the crypto in cryptocurrency is the fact that those transactions cannot just be done by anybody. In order to make a change to make a record change, you have to have the key. Key is, uh, again, in very simple terms, it's a password. It's just a ridiculously long, unhumanly readable password. And it's uh, generated at a time when you set up something called a wallet. A wallet 
could be lots of different types of wallets, but in the beginning, people would load a piece of software on their computer. And that would be the wallet, the client application, if you will. And if you have the key that you use that you can write to the ledger of the blockchain that you're using stored in your wallet, then you can send and receive coins from Bitcoin or Monero or Litecoin or Ethereum or any of those out that you've heard. That wallet, however, doesn't contain the information. It's just a tool for allowing you to publish changes. If you delete your wallet, lose it, or whatever, you still have access so long as you have a copy of that key. The key is typically stored in something called a seed phrase. That's another really important term. That's really important because, as I'll explain later in this podcast, your seed phrase is the crown jewels of your crypto. Anybody gets your seed phrase, you're wiped out. You're gone. So always protect that thing. Never give it to anybody. Don't even give it to your IT guy. Don't even trust anybody with that thing. Type it yourself or paste it. you got to find a way to save that someplace so it can be backed up but not compromised. That is the crown jewels. So when people hack Bitcoin, very oftentimes the way they do that is they trick the victim into giving them their seed phrase, giving them effectively their password. Now, there's a password that's involved as well, using the term password. Usually the combination in, in the wallet. Password to open the wallet, and the wallet contains your seed phrase. So there's those two pieces. I don't want to get bogged down with that. This is all about the, the, the general idea how the security works. So then you have miners. Miners do transactions. They're the ones, they're the, the cog in this whole machine that makes the transactions possible. A miner does all the calculations based on your your key to prove or not prove that your key works, that you, in fact, can do this transaction. And they're miners all over the world. And they're all over the world run anonymously by whoever because when they solve transactions, they're kind of in a contest or pool to win some new coins themselves. So miners get paid in the crypto that they're mining. That's uh, how the original blockchains work, something called proof of work. Uh, Bitcoin is a proof of work coin. Uh, Monero is another one. Uh, Ethereum is interesting. That's a proof of work right now. It's not going to be proof of work forever. They're going to move to something called proof of state. <clears throat> that also has security implications. Proof of work is much more secure. It's also much more decentralized, which is an aspect of security. I'll get to that in a minute. So back to our seed phrase. Kind of re- re- recap where we're at right now. So you got your seed phrase. That is your right to make the changes to the ledger. Your ledger is just an endless list of everybody that has made changes to the blockchain. Those changes being sending coin back and forth. Right? Sally sends to Joe. Joe sends to Jane. Jane sends to Dave. Whatever. However that pattern is, those changes can't take place unless the correct key has been applied and all the miners out there are going to validate that transaction and they're going to compete for who validates first. And that's how a transaction is proved. Now, other miners will continue to verify those transactions. It's not just one miner. So you can't target a miner in security. Miners could very well be your security breach point, right? So that could be where it's hacked. But to avoid this, you have an array of miners, independent machines all over the place, very much at random, confirming the transactions. Here's where proof of stake comes in. Proof of stake is better environmentally from an energy standpoint because miners draw a lot of power, a lot of power, like a 
silly amounts of electricity. But I personally, I think that the value they provide in terms of transactions and financial security is worth it, and I don't think it's any different than every other service we use. But that's my own, uh, you know, not, not to wax poetic here on you, but that's how they work. To solve that energy process, they came up with proof of stake. You end up with uh, these, you know, nodes on the network that are basically like miners that will take your existing crypto and it kind of gets a vote. How much, based on how much crypto you have, how much crypto that node has assigned to it, you take your money, you lock it up into these pools, and then they are able to make the transactions. They're using the ownership of coins as kind of the proof that they're valid and independent, so nobody can just go ahead and be a mine unless they have a lot of people supporting them with crypto, as opposed to proof of work, which uses energy and CPU and graphics card resources as proof. The idea is to make sure that people cannot create a tri uh, num an infinite number of false miners trivially. It takes enormous amount of effort. That's how they prevent people from faking the mining. It's just too much energy, too much uh, resources. So proof of stake does this by tying up the value of the coin. There, I think that it's less centralized and it's less secure because you can... Go, you have less points to go after. With like Bitcoin mining, God, there's thousands of miners all over the world, hundreds of, tens of thousands, I think. With proof of stake, there's going to be like 50 nodes. And while technically they're just difficult to compromise, and technically, yeah, it costs a lot of money to set up a fake node, it is feasible to do so compared to proof of work. That's why there's a security difference. So you could attack the blockchain itself, that ledger itself, only by going after the miners. And one other attack uh, that Bitcoin had and that's called a 51% attack, meaning if you own 51% of the miners, you now can control what the next block does, who gets to mine that block, because you have 51%, you have the majority. That's really hard when you have thousands of miners. This is why decentralization is so important. It's the number of attack surfaces uh, out there, or, or, or no, that's the wrong way of putting it. Uh, that's, it. It's the number of required compromises that you have to do in order to, to, to breach it. Uh, tax surface is one opportunity, but with mining, it's kind of like 51% or nothing. <laughs> if you have 10,000 points, you have to compromise 5,100 of them uh, to be able to breach the network. That was a risk with Bitcoin because there were so many crypto miners in China uh, about a year ago. And then China went ahead and banned crypto mining, and they saved Bitcoin. <laughs> because with uh, all that mining in China and how centrally controlled the government uh, has over the industry and people there, there was a real threat that they could do that 51% attack. They, however, have ended that and saved Bitcoin. So now Bitcoin, the little blockchain itself, anyway, is completely uh, safe. So you could still get uh, hacked if your computer's compromised and someone looks at your computer, looks at your wallet while you have it open, and they go, oh, there's the seed phrase. If they have what's called a keylogger and you type your password, let's say you type in your seed phrase. They can capture it that way. Any way they get your seed phrase is how they can breach your crypto, but they can't corrupt the entire blockchain all at once. I like to have multiple wallets in my crypto, the little I have anyway, uh, broke up in multiple wallets so that I can reduce the damage exposure. Somebody gets my seed phrase, and they get a piece of my crypto, which is admittedly not a huge portfolio, but uh, it's there, right? You know, they can steal a pizza from me. Well, <laughs> one pizza is worth of crypto at a time. Uh, but that is the gist of it. Now, there is one other way that crypto can be 
hacked. And this, I think, is probably the more common exploit. There are these things called exchanges. Not a huge fan of exchanges from a, as a security professional, but they certainly serve a purpose. I understand them. How do you get crypto? Where does it, I mean, where do you acquire it as an individual user? I mean, you could ask for it from a friend. You could trade in person, but... If you walk up, I mean, meeting people in a bar or a parking lot and handing them money and then having them send you crypto is a pretty awkward, slow, and a little sketchy way to buy crypto, right? So they came up with things called exchanges. Exchange is very much like a currency exchange or a bank, and very analogous to that. And that's, those organizations can be regulated and controlled by the government. They have wallets, too, but the problem is your wallet with an exchange is non-custodial, and this is key for security. This is a very key point. They have your seed phrase. You don't. And that is how the breaches happen. Now, you're trusting this middleman, this third-party organization, with your keys. And for the big ones, uh, Coinbase and, and you know, some of the other ones out there, uh, you know, they're, they're reasonably secure, Um but that's reasonably, not perfectly secure. It's like a bank. Someone could rob the bank with your money in it. And it's a nice, fat, juicy target. If you think about it, the cryptocurrency exchange has thousands of users. Oh, boy, would any, any hacker love to sink their deep into that. So sometimes those accounts get breached. Oftentimes people play games with that. Um, and that's kind of how that happens. So if you have a lot of money in cryptocurrency and you want to be secure, go get yourself your own wallet and your own computer, and you back it up. So you, you have your own seed phrase, copy to a flash drive, bury it in your backyard somewhere. <laughs> uh, whatever you can do, uh, the, the, the key there is that no one can get it, but that you have a copy. Because if you ever lose your seed phrase, there's no one to call for help. There's no password to reset. There's no network admin that you can get to get you out of that jam. You have to keep your seed phrase available to you and safe from hackers. Hacker gets your seed phrase, they have your money. That's your keys. And there's a saying, not your keys, not your crypto, right? And that's how exchanges work. So it's really any money you have in your crypto, in your exchange is not really your crypto. They owe it a debt, and you have to trust them to pay that debt. It's essentially a loan. You're kind of loaning the exchange your crypto. They own it. And if they say, oh, you can't transfer it, or the government wants to seize it, or the government just wants to know how much you have and what you're doing with it, well, the exchange can do that. That's how the government can regulate it. The government cannot regulate the blockchains. Absolutely unchangeable without keys. And that's what's beautiful about blockchain. And there are some that are private where you can't see what transaction happens. Like Monero, huge fan of Monero. It's a great cryptocurrency. Um, I'm not talking, mind you, about the investment potential, whether it's going to go up and make you money. That's never the purpose of crypto. It wasn't originally the purpose anyway. I could go on quite a lot about crypto and security, especially when you get into things like smart contracts. Smart contracts are a bit of logical code that is embedded on a blockchain that executes. And with code, there are vulnerabilities. So, But that's a topic for another day. That's beyond the scope. This is just an introduction to the security and how the mechanics with the security and crypto works. I hope you've enjoyed. If you have a question, feel free to reach out to us. We'll be happy to talk to you and uh, maybe make a podcast uh, topic out of your question. I'm Andy with CyberVenture. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information on how to keep yourself and your business safe, visit us at www.cyberventure.com. Thanks for listening.